You are now listening to the Add 10 Gallons Concrete Podcast. Wait, the answer was add 10 gallons? Add 10 gallons. My first thought was we got to put active children. Yeah, great. <laughs> Trucks on the, on the way. On the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. I've got two observations, uh, neither of which are really educated or well thought out. <laughs> <laughs> Which are like most of my observations are. There aren't a lot of problems on a job site that can't be solved with a sack full of biscuits. Today's episode of the Add 10 Gallons Concrete Podcast is brought to you by Actigel 208. Actigel 208 is a high-performance additive for the concrete industry that is greatly beneficial to the producer. It enables them to increase the percentage of manufactured sand by up to 100% and completely replace all the natural sand in the mix. In areas where natural sand is scarce, inconsistent, and expensive, this provides a huge benefit to any ready-mix company out there. Benefits of manufactured sand and concrete include consistent air content, improved compaction, and increased density. Now in the past, the downside of using manufactured sands was that they were hard to pump, hard to place, and hard to finish. Well, Actigel 208 solves all those issues. By improving suspension, stability, and the quality of the cement paste in the mix, Actigel overcomes the old issues with manufactured sand and leaves them behind. Let Actigel 208 improve the quality of your mix while saving money on every yard you produce. For more information, visit us at actigel.com. That's A-C-T-I-G-E-L.com. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, to the Add 10 Gallons Concrete Podcast. My name is Josh, and I'm joined once again, as always, by Paul and Joey. Paul, how's it going? Going good, brother. Good, man. Joey, you doing all right? Yeah, man, I'm good. Well, that's good. I mean, Paul, Paul's probably doing pretty well as we record this after the college football Saturday of November 22nd, where Arkansas and Tennessee continues to suck the soul out of their fans' bodies week by week. But, uh, you know, Paul's team played a basketball school, so they put up a basketball score. And uh, Kentucky was playing baseball or something. I'm not sure what they were doing. Yeah, they didn't show up. But <laughs> it's not their fault. They came into the game. And they were like, hey, we don't know how to pass the ball, so we're only going to run the ball. And after the first quarter, Alabama's defense made the adjustments, and we won by 60. Yeah. 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 It, was, it was some real high school-looking stuff there. Well, well hey, actually, <laughs> if, if nobody here watched that game, they sh- – if if you're a Kentucky fan, you should be so angry at your offensive coordinator. He should be fired after that game. Because yeah. here's the reason. They had success in the first quarter. At the end of the first quarter, they were beating Alabama in every statistical category, and the score was like 7-3 to three or something. Like, it was a really close game. Yeah. And it should have been closer, but they screwed up on a field goal and uh, went negative 36 yards on a field goal attempt, <laughs> and, we reco- and we got the ball because it was fourth down. So... The problem was is the success they had in the first quarter, they abandoned that completely for no reason. We could not stop whatever this triple option thing they were doing. We couldn't stop it. And at halftime, Saban was confused. They were asking him, all right, you know, what do you think about your performance? And he goes, well, we couldn't stop them in the first quarter, but for some reason they stopped doing that, and we had a lot of success in the second quarter. <laughs> he said so, that? Yes, yes. The whole broadcast was like, I wonder why they're not doing this, and Saban's like, I wonder why they're not doing this, and they never went back to it, and we won by 60. <laughs> 
well, <laughs> I'll take it. I got nothing to say. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's, that's... Well, the people that took Bama and laid the points in the gambling world, they were they were happy because we won by sixty when the yeah. line was thirty. So. Yeah, you probably covered the point total by yourself too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, and the the games have taken for already for next Saturday. You know, feel good about those, but we'll see. Yeah. Right on, Joey. Uh, I I don't really want to talk a whole lot about the hogs because I just get tired of complaining about officials. <laughs> And it's it's just not fun to listen to either. So uh, I don't know if you got anything to say either, Joe. I do have a question for you though. Uh, if if you see an interception, do you automatically assume now that it's going to the house? Whenever Tennessee takes a snap, I assume it's going to be an interception or a turnover. Yeah. <laughs> you, you have a Jarrett Garen turnover when he throws a ball into the end zone. You just assume the worst as soon as the ball leaves his hands. I feel like if a jersey number could be pick six. Instead of like twenty six, <laughs> who changes jersey number to six? I wish that I could be mad at officials like Arkansas can, but unfortunately I cannot. I can be mad at a subpar fifth or eighth year quarterback. I don't know. How- you told us a stat uh, about Tennessee, and I just want to make sure that all our Tennessee people that are listening to this uh, catch this stat that. Uh, your current coach Pruitt has a worse record uh, this many years into his tenure at Tennessee, a worse record than Derek Dooley and Butch Jones. And, and you should marinate in that sadness a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Joey, I got some good news and I got some bad news. The bad news obviously is Tennessee football is, is going to be Tennessee football for another year. The good news is it can always be worse. You could live in the state of Pennsylvania and be a Penn State fan. Is it Penn State still winless? Winless. Winless, right. So now you don't have the only shining thing that people in the middle of Pennsylvania used to be able to be happy about. And on top of that, they have the highest gas tax in the country. And I'm going to segue (laughs) this into a concrete-related article. All right, let's see it. I'm I'm excited about this. I I don't know where you're going with this. I just know. So according to my information here, uh, Tennessee is paying uh, 27.5 cents a gallon extra on, you know, for tax on top of what the gas costs. And it is, for diesel, 28 cents, okay? Now, Pennsylvania and uh, all of the great things they have going for them this year, they have the highest gas tax. They're paying 0.586 cents a gallon. And then for diesel... They're paying 0.74 cents a gallon tax extra for diesel. And why you tax diesel more, it makes no sense other than they're trying to get their money from the trucking industry. Yeah, so that's another topic for another day. And I'm not done with the bad news for Pennsylvania yet and also trying to make Joey feel good. I'm reading these these articles, and I'll read you the headline. PennDOT weighing options of tolling bridges, tunnels, and parkways. So, basically, (laughs) despite having the country's highest gas tax, they're almost double what the median is, they're still at a deficit. During the pandemic, obviously, people aren't driving as much, and the petrol tax money has dropped by about $400 million year over year, and that's bad. So you might think to yourself, well, that's why they're trying to toll uh, bridges and tunnels and parkways to make up that. Well, a PennDOT spokesman in a news story, it was actually like a, a video story for a Pittsburgh local news channel yesterday, uh, said that, well, yeah, that, that $400 million deficit that we're not getting this year because people aren't driving, that's bad enough. But uh, these options in this study has been investigated for over a year now. It really doesn't have anything to do with coronavirus. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> 
essentially a Pennsylvania. The roads and the bridges and the tunnels are so bad that it, it and they have so many of them. The amount of money that it would take to revamp all of this infrastructure is just completely astronomical. So while they say that the tolls are unlikely to be implemented on every bridge and tunnel and all that stuff, what they're looking at doing is tolling new construction. So if a tunnel needs to be you know, revamped, rebuilt, same with a bridge or anything else, at that point, they're going to implement a toll on that section of roadway. Toll prices are going to be between one and two bucks usually. Um, it'll tie in with the easy pass stuff. Wait a minute, they already decided this is... This is hypothetical. Oh, good. The locations of these will probably be announced by early 2021 where these projects, lo- the project locations are going to be, um, what kind of uh, toll system or infrastructure they might impl- implement. But they said whatever PennDOT decides to do to make more money, they need to improve the implementation of user fees they put in. So this story and the comments made by the PennDOT spokesperson, they kind of contradict themselves because they say, well, you know, this is just an idea that we're kicking around. And then they say, well, hypothetically, we're going to implement these tolls in this very specific way. So... I would only assume that it's it's coming down the pipe. Yeah, they're and, fishing and for is, backlash. They're fishing for backlash. They want to see, hey, let's float this idea. And right. See how it goes over. And that, that's the problem with government services is that uh, they're not a business. Governments aren't a business. They don't have to make money. That, yeah. And if they and they always need more money. Yep. It's never enough money. And that's because you know you know the people that don't like capitalism. One of the things they'll point at is the prices always go up. And there's a reason for that, and it's not a bad thing. But it is a bad thing if you think the government should be in charge of everything (laughs) because the prices are always going up. And the only way to get more revenue as a government is to, one, cut spending – or two ways. One is to cut spending in other areas to increase revenues for uh, uh, separate areas. But but the only way to increase the size of the pie is to uh, get more taxes. So you can either have programs that incite businesses to move into your state and hire thousands and thousands of people that uh, are high-income generators that come into the state, and now you've got a bigger tax base, or – you can raise taxes on people, whether it's uh, through income taxes or tolls and fees and all this stuff. And you're right. The bridges, there's so many bridges. If you've never been to Pittsburgh, you ha- it's almost impossible to fathom how many bridges are in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they called it Three Rivers Stadium, where the Pirates played for a reason. There's three giant rivers that just uh, trisect the city of Pittsburgh. There's bridges everywhere. It's unbelievable. And they're all falling down. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They, they do need the money. I, I'm not doubting that. But, but what kind of service? You know, having a new bridge sounds like a service. So th- the question to me is, is like, what service are they providing with these tolls? Because are they only going to toll you until they re- recoup the money they spent on that project? Of course not. Of course not. Is there any uh, way for us to oversee where that toll money goes and what it's used for? Not no. Likely. But, you know, there there are some since there is an instance in Pennsylvania where they actually do uh, charge you a toll on a road. And I think it's perfectly fine. But they built I-76. Yeah. It goes straight from Philly to Pittsburgh. It's a straight shot They They built these uh, phenomenal uh, rest stops along. 
on the way. They're, they're great. The roads are fantastic. The construction was fantastic. And they're like, hey, you want to use the turnpike to go literally a, directly across the state between the two biggest cities? And, oh, by the way, we'll run right by Harrisburg on the way for you, too. Uh, yeah, you want to do that? Yeah, it's, it's going to cost money. And you're like, okay. Yeah. You just cut the drive time across the state in half. It was a great doubt that to me. I'm like, all right, you you want us to pay for that? I can understand that. But this, uh, hey, we need to fix the bridges. So pay us more money. That to me is nonsense. Yeah, 100 percent. Well, and that's why I prefaced this whole uh, article, um, this whole topic with the fact that they already have the highest gas tax in the country by far. I mean, if you're beating California tax category, you oh got to try to do. Oh, my that. God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. that's it. I'm moving. <laughs> Yeah, feel bad for the people who live in these cities because you know I can sit here and complain about toll fees and this and that, but I'm not going to be going over these bridges. Yeah, I, I don't live in Philadelphia. I don't live in Pittsburgh, right. so I, I'm not I'm not really that concerned about these tolls except uh, the philosophy behind the tolls. And yeah, sorry Joey, you had those to us rant about these uh, high tax areas that we live in, and you're you're down there in Tennessee. They don't even have a state income tax. Taxation is thick. Taxation Next is article. Thin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, this this entire uh, topic was to make Joey feel better about himself. I've complained about taxation long enough. What else? <laughs> <laughs> what else you guys got for us? <laughs> well, uh, we'll go from your negative news about uh, money, and we'll go to Joey's positive news about money. Joey's got uh, the updated forecast from Dodge Analytics. What do you got for us? So, yeah, I found a bright spot uh, in 2020, and that's uh, the Dodge Data and Analytics uh, 2021 construction outlook. They predict that the total U.S. construction starts will increase by 4% next year, uh, which will equal out to about $771 billion. Uh, so that is some good news. 2020, you know, construction starts slipped. They slipped about 14%, which was about $738 billion. But the dollar value of non-residential buildings will be up 3%. Non-building construction will improve by 7%. So this is all, you know, predictions and theories, of course, but this is kind of based on further stimulus that they may be coming in early 2021, vaccine uh, that we could get probably by the end of the year. So this is kind of resting on all of the, on all of that. Institutional construction will increase by 1% as growing state and local budget deficits impact public building construction. Public works construction will see a little bit of improvement. And here's something interesting. Uh, Electric utilities and gas plants will gain 35%, led by expected groundbreakings for for several large LNG export facilities and an increasing number of wind farms. So that's uh, that's pretty interesting. That's one of the bigger data points here in this little report. However, they still say that retail and hotel activity, that's still going to be pretty low, uh, understandably, you know, even though we have a vaccine coming and there's stimulus coming, people still aren't going to be out and about as much uh, as they used to because the, the fear is still there by, by a lot of people. And you can see that, you know. Just going going anywhere. There's still people with their mask on. There's still a lot of mask mandates out there, so the fear is still there. But overall, construction is looking looking to improve upon this year uh, for next year. So that was good. Yeah, no, that is good. And I mean, I mean, obviously, you know, the article is goes on a little bit of speculation and theory, 
but all by you know a pretty reputable reputable source. But it kind of went into contrast of what a lot of people that we talked to in the industry, what they were predicting. They're like, well, you know, we don't really see a whole lot of projects coming down the pipeline and stuff like that. But to that point, we were talking to people in a very specific market. Right. And this that, that Joey pulled up and the stats that he just presented, it kind of is an all encompassing look at the market. So. I guess when you look at everything that way and, and kind of predict what might be coming down the pipe, it looks a little bit more positive than some people might be might be uh, guessing at the moment. Yeah, that's kind of why I brought it up, because it did go against everything we had heard. So I was interested in seeing why it said that. And I think most of it was, was because of those uh, those utility plants. You know, like I said, that's the biggest data point in that report. And it didn't really expound much on civil construction and big skyscraper projects that we've seen in Chicago and some of these other major cities. So overall, it says construction is going up. However, everybody we've talked to in the civil market uh, is, is, you know, anticipating, you know, kind of a low year in 2021. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, all these inner city civil jobs aren't, are looking so hot, but uh, a 35% increase in the uh, the utility market, that's that's a humongous jump, uh, year over year. I mean, how many windmills can you build? <laughs> they they've been building a lot of them, and quite frankly, you need to build a lot of them because they're not that efficient. But I digress. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is what's LNG? Liquid natural gas. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. The thing with the the LNG is is what you have to build. You have to build to get it out of the ground. Mm-hmm. So your, your oil well cement type of stuff, uh, fracking and all that. So you got to get out of the ground. Then you've got to build uh, to transport it. Pumping store. stations, yeah. So you're either, you either have uh, pumping stations or you've got, uh, in a lot of cases, these are being shipped uh, around. So maybe not uh, inter- over interstates, but they, they actually build shipping ports just to handle LNG volumes. And so mm-hmm. they'll put them into tankers and they'll, they'll move it around, barge it around that way then the infrastructure to, to process it and handle it. So there's so much that goes on in the LNG side for construction that's benefic- beneficial for the concrete industry. Right, right. Yeah, well, and then, you know, the LNG stuff's beneficial, but then also the basis for those windmills is just a massive amount of concrete. Huge amount so of concrete. As much as I hate on windmill and windmills and wind energy, keep pouring those bases. Well, we've talked about this before. I didn't realize how big, the windmills were until okay. you see one of the blades driving <laughs> yeah. down the road. Yeah. And, and the only thing you're just like, oh, okay, they, they literally decided how big can we get a flatbed? They're like, well, they're usually like 53 feet. Like, great. That's how big we'll make the blade. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It's huge. And you need it all at one time. You can't mm-hmm. just be like, mm-hmm. oh, I'll take a hundred yards a day, a thousand tomorrow. Mm-hmm. They're like, no, let's pour 2000 a day every day for a week and let's get out of here yeah i mean they're huge i mean it's a that's a huge volume of concrete but normally they're in remote areas as well oh yeah like yeah up, up on yeah. a ridge somewhere out in the middle of a plane or something like that yeah volumetric trucks just not going to give you <laughs> what you need right right yeah so i mean that's that's good news and that's why that's why i kind of alluded to earlier having an all-encompassing look at the market is is a it makes a little bit more sense that there's a light at the end of the tunnel now instead of just looking at civil projects or even residential projects because I'm wary about that, man. Really? Yeah. I mean, why? it's just our economy is in part being propped up by stimulus checks, and they keep building houses. 
Yeah, the, they're going crazy. The job the job market isn't skyrocketing. Our GDP isn't skyrocketing. But housing starts are skyrocketing. Skyrocketing. Now, I'm not saying that the banks are approving subprime loans, loans and all that stuff like they were doing a decade ago to where people are moving into houses they can't afford. There might be some of that. Yeah. But, I mean, is there an element of overbuilding here? Because a lot of these housing projects were approved and decided upon before COVID-19 hit. Uh, well, some of them, but I think I think what a lot what I think what happened is this spring, you know, April they said, hey, we're going to shut things down, and people were just looking around like, okay, well, I've got money that I wanted to spend. So you're talking about the the better off people that weren't losing their jobs, and they're, well, I've got money to spend. Where do I want to spend it? And so we saw a record number of pools being built. Yeah. <laughs> you know, people were building stuff at their home. Peloton can't build enough bikes. Yeah. Uh, you know. So, so then you got, what's the next step? Well, let's buy a new house and go live somewhere else or move somewhere else. And there's just a way to uh, put money somewhere. There is an element of that for sure. Um, you know, people looking for houses with a home office. And, and well, the prices went through the roof. Yeah. I, I was, cause I was looking well, and the low interest rates help the yeah, housing market. That helps too. Yeah. And it, cause I was yeah. actually looking and I'm like, okay, well this neighborhood that I was looking at the house was like $330,000 and then it takes taken off market a couple months later it's back on the market for 380. I'm like that's the same house. It's probably in worse shape cuz nobody's been in it for 6 months and it just went up $50,000. I was like you're crazy. Yeah. Well, Josh, when you flew down for our work, you know, a couple months ago or whenever it was, Nashville's full of cranes. They can't build enough housing. They can't build enough apartments for the people moving here. For a while there was over a hundred people a day moving to Nashville or to the metro area uh, finally dipped below 90 or finally dipped below a hundred. So it's, I think it's still maybe in the nineties or in the eighties every day. Those people are coming to Nashville. They have a, they have to have a place to go. And so they can't build condos fast enough. They're re they're just redoing old buildings, putting little apartments in there. Uh, all the farms, you know, in Davidson County, the old farms, you're not seeing those as much anymore. They're subdividing those out. You know, people are making a mint on the old family farm. My farm in Hickman County, if I if I had it in Davidson County, there's no telling what I can make off of. I'd be a millionaire. I could retire. You know, it's it's unreal what stuff is going for around here. If I know anything about Joey Bell, you'd have to. I mean, what would that offer have to be to get Joey to sell the family farm? I don't know if there is an offer. Where it's at now, no, absolutely not. I don't ever plan on selling it. It's too hilly out there. I couldn't imagine they'd buy that for uh, development, would they? No, not out there. I mean, if you had it closer to Nashville, yeah, absolutely. There'd be somebody eat it up. It wouldn't matter because you can put uh, row houses anywhere. You can just stack them in there. They don't care. Yeah, but knowing you, you need a place to go because, uh, you know, you're never sure what day your wife's going to walk out on you and you just need a place to go. And that's, <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> I don't know how to segue from that. What do you got? <laughs> I kind of want to stay on the topic. Okay. All right. I'm just going to sit here quietly. Don't ever think I won't leave. Yeah, there's, always, there's always pros and cons to kicking your coverage. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> all right well okay we can transition to the next thing <laughs> oh, okay all right i see i see yeah. uh, 
I I don't have uh, the article link for you, but I did see a technology that I really want to talk about. I want to know that if you think, because it's hypothetical technology, it doesn't exist yet, but I saw the concept and I thought it was really neat. And I think it could have application in concrete in some ways, but the the technology uh, was for engineers and it's to have connected to your hard hat would be a face shield and the face shield would be capable of augmented reality. And so as you point your eyesight in a certain direction, uh, you could have the option to uh, to get supplemental information about what you're looking at or uh, to be able to read things, uh, gauges or lines or, or whatever, and have that information be processed on the screen in front of you. And then instead of you having to take a clipboard and record all the measurements yourself, it gets sent to a server and things are recorded automatically. So you've taken out human error. Now you're getting more information. And also, like maybe you don't know every single spec about everything. So especially with young guys, you know, they're coming in, they could have these face shields. They could say, hey, by the way, this uh, this pressure on this line is out of spec. Here's here's the spec. We need to get it back in spec. Tap for more information on how to troubleshoot, and they could give you more steps right there on your screen for how to troubleshoot the situation and, and give you real time feedback on these things. That's awesome. That's you know kind of like an Iron Man helmet, but a little bit more practical. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you could kind let's say you're working on like a pipeline maintenance, and you could visually look at the pipeline and this thing could scan in much greater detail maybe than your eyes could and and find defects and you know rate them severe moderate mild or no defect at all for these different issues and and help you troubleshoot on on how to sort and it would send all this information wirelessly to a server and so it all gets cataloged and then whoever is sitting in the office can see those reports and it's always recorded in the right way at the right time i don't know man i, I thought it was pretty cool and i think if uh, if you had something like that in concrete, could be very interesting to me. The possibilities are endless, and and really, it's not it's not a brand new idea per se. I think Google and a, a couple other companies have been messing around with the heads up display optics for glasses and and stuff like that. It's just whether or not the technology can be accessible and affordable. Well, they got those uh, those hatches that they're building into the drums of the concrete trucks yeah. that are measuring the slump and air and everything there all stuff's getting measured right there how much water is in it if you need to add water all the stuff you know those are already being built into the drum so at what point uh does that information become wearable yeah. and then you're not as limited on to what information you can absorb so these uh, monitors on the truck they're only as good as the probes they're using yeah monitors on the truck are you you don't have a deeper file of information to dig from it's just like here's what it says but in an augmented reality situation with a full face shield, so your screen's much bigger. Uh, you're it, potentially being on a like a hard hat type helmet. You could have much better optics, so you're not limited to a, 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 the frame of a set of glasses mm-hmm. and trying to make it as tiny as possible. You could have much better optics on that thing, so you're going to be able to see better. Your field of vision's better. How much information you can fit on a screen is better, and then. With it being uh, in an augmented reality situation, you could get uh, more feedback from it and then go deeper. So uh, would you like to learn more about this or would you like to do this or what task would you like to do next? And you could just go on and on and on and on. And just I just think the possibilities are incredible there. And I'd love to see something like that come into the construction world. If you scan yeah, if you like, scan a slab, like a slab of concrete, concrete and see imperfections yeah. like in the surface or you could see 
maybe cracks forming that maybe you couldn't see before or it's somehow scanned something. There's a yeah. lot of potential there. Joint spacing. You know, yeah. it, could, it could see and be like, oh, FYI, they didn't space these joints correctly. You're going to have problems. And you could go back and say, hey, this is what my AI software is telling me. Uh, am I right or wrong? And then you look at the plans like, oh, wow, those are supposed to be 10 foot spacings and they're on 12 feet. You're right. Let's we need to go back in here and, and double joint. So I don't know. I, I just think there's a lot of things you could do. And, you know, we'll see. You, you mentioned it's affordability, right? Yeah. You know, affordability. How and how many of these can you hand out? And I don't know. I don't know the answer to those questions, but I got excited when I saw the technology. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think what you're talking about to a certain degree is. Well, let me back up. I think technology has improved every aspect of the construction industry uh, and has been doing so. And, and actually, it, relatively speaking, has been doing so at a very fast pace. I mean, you look at the technology that's available now that wasn't a decade ago uh, in surveying, in, uh, in site work and prep work and project planning uh, and, and so many other aspects. You're, you're essentially talking about combining all of that mm-hmm. to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that's where the affordability and the accessibility comes in. But I mean, to a certain degree, a lot of the technology that you would need to implement is available. I think the challenge lies in packing all of that into something that's ergonomic and efficient and then making it to where people can afford it. Yeah. Um, but time always helps that. If you're talking about lithium batteries or if you're talking about CAD design software, or if you're talking about basic robotics and automation, just over time, it gets cheaper. It's, it's the way it's been for a long time now. So Yeah, well, and so as I started to think about these uh, smart helmets and smart screens, uh, I, you know, you could have apps for that. Yep. Same way we have apps on our phone, you could have apps for these. So if you, you wanted... Pick, you can pick and choose what you have. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And if you need to send something to PennDOT, boom. Or, hey, I needed to see what this batch ticket was, so you can call up whatever the load was, and it's like, oh, it's supposed to... Spec says... Four plus or minus one inch slump, but this dude pulled an eight. <laughs> and you're like, as much as I would love to pump that, you know, we got to we got to fix that one. You know, yeah. Technology and concrete is so slow to be, you know, implemented and accepted. Where it seems like technology on the construction side, on that side, is way quicker, you know, to be accepted and implemented. Just with the efficiency. Uh, either with logistics or with safety or just all kinds of other stuff. And then in concrete, we have to scratch and claw for, for some of those simple technological advances. All right. Well, we've rambled on enough here. We're going to bring in our guest uh, because she could speak probably a little bit better than we can. She has some great stories. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, she's uh, awesome. A lot of good points. Uh, yeah, we're going we're gonna to bring in our guest, Jesse Boone. Uh, Jesse is from Tennessee, and she works with the Portland Cement Association down there. Um, so she has a lot of paving-related information to share with us that's uh, news to us, and it's going to get Joey real excited since that's where his roots lie. <laughs> so they can go back and forth about trials and tribulations of paving stuff. Um, but she's also an MTSU grad. So you guys are going to talk to her about that and reminisce on some of your favorite teachers or maybe some of your not so favorite moments and <laughs> teachers and things associated there. Um, and then we're going to talk about her career path after MTSU and what led her to where she's at now. Uh, she's also operating a, a small personal business with her and her husband. Um, and then she also does some some stuff with the CIM patrons group. She's the VP of the CIM patrons. So uh, we're going to talk about all that, and I'm really excited to get into it. So without uh, further delay, this is our guest for Episode 9, Jesse Boone. 
All right, welcome into the program, Jesse Boone. Jesse, thanks for being with us today. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Uh, we appreciate you being here for sure. This was kind of orchestrated uh, after Dr. Brown's interview. Mm -hmm. uh, you certainly have close ties to the other two into this group because you yourself are an MTSU grad, whereas I'm not. So you are more or less on the podcast today to give me an education and viewers, and, and I'm looking forward to that. Uh, tell us a little bit about you know, when you graduated, what brought you to the program, you know, ultimately what led you here with the Add 10 Gallons Concrete Podcast as an honorary oh. guest. Okay, yeah. Um, so I graduated in 2008, and I was pretty much a non-traditional student. I actually started college thinking I was going to be a dentist. And when microbiology kicked my ass, I had to take a step back and rethink you know, my life choices. And um, at the time, I was minoring in psychology, and I thought, you know, I'm not going to get a job doing this. So I kind of quit college because I was spending my own money. I wasn't taking out loans, so I was kind of going, you know, belly up in my savings. And I went back to working at the dentist as a dental assistant. And a fellow Coffee County High School graduate that was younger than me came in to get her teeth cleaned. And she asked, you know, basically, she said, what in the hell are you doing back in Manchester? And I said, well, I'm, you know, trying to make money, figuring it out. I don't I don't really know. She said, well, um, you need to look into concrete industry management. And I had never heard of it before. And I said, well, tell me more. And I said, oh, by the way, you were doing nursing. And she said, yeah, I failed out by one point, didn't make it into the program. And my boyfriend, who is also a Coffee County high school grad, was already in the CIM program. So she just uh, jumped ship and went CIM because he was and knew he was going to move. And so, you know, that's what she decided to do. And, and it interests me mostly because I was a big time FFA girl in high school. I did 4-H. You know, I grew up on the farm, all the things, driving tractors and baling hay and just being outside. And, you know, I, I had to take a step back and think, you know, I don't want to be in a room all day, every day in the same building. I, I like being outside. I like working with my hands. I learn better that way. So I went and um, made an appointment. I don't even remember if I made an appointment or I just showed up at the CIM office one day. And it was back when it was just Sally and Becky. And I don't know when you two graduate, but do you remember Becky? Yeah, yeah I remember so, Becky. It was those two ladies that were in there. That was it. Dr. Brown, I never had met her, but I, I had my transcript from Motlow and then all of the classes that I had taken at MTSU with me. And Sally was going through them. And I remember these two studs walked in and they were talking about uh, taking stuff out to the golf course for a golf tournament. And I'm like, what the heck? Okay. We never did golf when I was uh, majoring in biology at MTSU or psychology. So what's going on? So I was eaves eavesdropping, obviously. And yeah, they were, you know, prepping for some big golf tournament that the concrete program does every year. And they were good looking and I was single. I was like, sign me up. Sign me up. Where's the, where's, where's the pin? I'll start next week. <laughs> and that's how that started. Yeah. That's awesome. It's funny how uh, priorities change throughout life and, and <laughs> <laughs> what, certain, what certain attributes lead you from one point to another when you're 18 to 20 years old. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. interesting. Mm -hmm. Certainly appreciate the honesty there. But so y 
you went to Middle Tennessee State with the idea in your head, I'm going to join this CIM program and I'm going to, I assume, uh, make a good living by working with my hands, working outside with a pair of boots on. Is, is that what kind of drew you to that after I had, leaving your hometown? I had no clue. I had no clue what I was doing. Um, I, I mean, honestly, I remember being at a bar back home in Manchester and running into Chris Lilius. And I don't know if you guys know him, but he graduated from CIM probably, I guess, two years before I did. And he's a hometown boy, too. And I told him, I said, hey, I signed up for CIM. I'm doing concrete. And he said, do you know the difference between concrete and cement? And I went, nope, <laughs> not a clue. So he schooled me right there in a bar over a beer, you know, back home. And uh, yeah, so I walked into uh, Folks's class only knowing the difference between concrete and cement. That's all I knew. <laughs> Wow. I didn't know what I was going to do. Was that a I rough never, time in uh, Folks's class? Because he was pretty intense. I love Joe Folks. He <laughs> was my favorite teacher. I, he and I had a relationship, though. You know, <laughs> he liked to pick on me, and I just gave it right back to him every single time. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah, I remember Paul and I had his class. There wasn't a book, no kind of text, textbook. He didn't hardly <laughs> on the board. Mm-mm. He sat on that stool up at the front of talked. the classroom and he talked. He just and sat talked. like this yep. and he talked and talked mm-hmm. and talked for. And all his classes were like three hours, if I remember. Ah, yeah, they were. Yeah, they, they were, were once a week for three hours long, <laughs> and that's your that was your Joe Folks uh, class. Yeah. I remember one time uh, he we were talking about grades, like steepness of hills and whatnot, and he said. Does anybody in this class even know this, the grade going up and down Mont Eagle Mountain? And all these guys are like, 15, 10. And I went, y'all, it's five and six. And he looked at me. And he looked at everybody else. He went, she's right. And I'm like, okay, yeah, because I'm a girl. it's I couldn't be right. <laughs> I got it on the to, side of the interstate. <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to Chattanooga every weekend to see this guy I was dating. So I knew five and six. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So folks, number one, he liked the girls in the class better than the guys in the class. Let's not pretend here. <laughs> Let's right? be honest. Yeah. RIP Mr. Folks. All right. Yes. <laughs> but uh, I'd never been more irritated with a professor in my life than uh, Mr. Folks when we had an exam and he was like, Hey, the exam's going to be on the whatever chapter inside the Bible, the concrete Bible, the, uh, the ACI book. And, uh, I forget what chapter it was, but I memorized the dang thing. There wasn't a line in that text. You could pick any paragraph on any page. I knew every single text cause I was a nerd and I wanted a good grade. And when we, he gave the test and I missed two questions and I was just like, that's impossible. Like how did, how did these end up on this test? And, and I told him, I said, I raised my hand. I said, where did these come from? This, this was nowhere in the assigned, uh, you know, educational reading. This wasn't supposed to be here. He goes, I know. <laughs> I, know. I was like, well, why is it here? He said, well, I needed to know what you don't know. Ah. So <laughs> oh, it, wasn't he always saying, uh, I know that you don't know what you don't know. Didn't he always say something like that? That sounds I, about right. <laughs> he always had, he had some kind of crazy yeah. saying like that. I said, I don't know anything. That's why I'm here. 
year. <laughs> now, you weren't the guy that kicked the garbage can across the room now, were you? <laughs> no, uh, we graduated two years after you, so... Uh, oh, I, I, okay, okay. Shenanigans. <laughs> yeah, there's there's some story, and I wish I knew who it was, but he got so mad at him, he kicked the garbage can across the room. <laughs> I think I remember that story. I don't remember who it oh, was. Oh, it's an but... age-old story. I mean, everybody knows it. Folks kicked the garbage can across No, the... no, the student. Oh, the student the did. Yeah, the student got mad at him. Yeah. Oh, well, that's understandable. I'm surprised <laughs> that didn't happen more than once throughout his tenure. I, I just feel sorry for all the students now that don't get the opportunity to know and love Joe Fawkes. Yeah, he he was a wealth of knowledge. I forget what company he was uh, he worked with before coming to MTSU, but he basically came direct from the industry. Yeah. Um, you know, no teaching experience, no academia no. whatsoever. That's awesome. They pulled him plumb out of the ready mix plant and stuck him in front of a classroom and yeah looking back now i didn't really appreciate it back then because i was just trying to get out of there but man looking back now i wish i'd have paid attention a lot more and you know mm -hmm. knowing what we know now we could have applied some things back then but it was uh he was something yeah. um your story about I liked your story about getting into the CIM program, not having to not knowing anything about concrete. That was kind of similar to mine. Uh, I started MTSU. I was a year. I was a year at MTSU as a recording industry major, believe it or not. And then I switched to concrete. So it, I, don't know, I thought yours was pretty interesting how you started out as one thing and you know went back and did mm -hmm. concrete. Well, what, I think um, uh, Nicole has the statistics, but I think the majority of our students are like transfers or they mm -hmm. flip flop from one degree to another. They found us in passing. I yeah. remember walking past the lab before I was a concrete major, seeing all the guys out there playing in concrete. And I totally thought they were like the janitors, like doing <laughs> something, you know, working around the school maintenance guys. That's what I thought was going on there. I had no clue. <laughs> Yeah, one uh, transferring to the concrete program after being in college for, you know, X amount of time was only one of the reasons it took me six years to graduate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you mm -hmm. can't can't leave early. No, no. Who would want to? I tell these kids, take your time. God, college is fun. When you get out, there's bills. Oh, and they don't stop. Yeah, nobody nobody knows what they want to do till they get out anyway, as far as I'm concerned. I didn't really, I had no clue, you know, what I wanted to do. And, you know, we talked, Paul and I have talked about this on previous episodes where we graduated and we were just trying to get somewhere, mm -hmm. you know, for experience. We had, there was no picking and choosing what you wanted. It's just what you could get. Right. Uh, was that, uh, you said you graduated in 08. Mm -hmm. Was that before or during, the economy crash. Right smack dab in the middle of it. Like really? it, the economy started crashing in 07, I guess, like late 07. And I graduated at the end of 08. And I, I, I can't remember how many graduated with me, maybe like 20. There was maybe three of us that had jobs and I was one of them. And of course, all the guys said I had a job because I was a girl, which could have very well been true. But I was awarded this position with Lafarge. Um, during my internship that summer. So I interned with them in Atlanta at the uh, Quality Assurance Lab. 
And the day before I left, they offered me a job. So I went back to my last semester knowing that I had a job already. Yeah, yeah, that's one thing I kind of wanted to get into. You know, we talked about what brought you to CIM and uh, your time there. Uh, bring us up to speed on graduation day. You said you started with Lafarge. Mm-hmm. Uh, up to where you're at now, what you're doing now. So just take us through that whole journey there. Yeah, it's a wild ride. So I did Lafarge for uh, three years. I was moved to Atlanta and I basically ran the quality assurance lab. I optimized mixes, designed mixes, and I I, I did not want to go to Atlanta. I wanted to go anywhere but Atlanta because I just kind of wanted to go as far away from home as possible. But, you know, beggars can't be choosers in 2008. So I took what I got. And I'm very blessed that I did have that opportunity because I got to learn concrete from the inside out and and understand mixed designs and gradations and specific gravities and all of those things that go into making concrete do what you need it to do. I mean, I, I was designing mixes that had a delayed set. I designed mixes that went inside coolers, inside a Mayfield dairy, you know, high early strength um, decorative. I got to do a lot of decorative stuff and and I had a, a really good time doing that. Uh, there was a an instance where I almost killed an employee <laughs> like with my fists. So they gave me uh, a truck and all the testing equipment and I uh, was then quality control out in the field. My quality control boss was in the lab when I threw a fit and the next day they were like, we got to get her out of here. She's going to kill somebody. <laughs> it was somebody being lazy, and I'm not even going to mention the guy's name, but he was the lab manager at the time, and he was just so lazy. And anytime a superior would walk in, he would act like he was doing something, and it pissed <laughs> me off. And so one day we were pouring pervious concrete, and obviously if you've worked with pervious, you know you don't pour it. it you place it. You mm-hmm. rake it out of a chute, and you place it. Mm-hmm. And we were doing that. And he was sitting on the back of a tailgate, just swinging his swinging his little feet, watching everybody else sweat. And it was like a 90 degree day in Atlanta. And I got done with what I was doing. I walked into the lab. I took my hard hat off and I slung it across the office. And I didn't know, but Rick Tilson, who soon to be my boss, was sitting there. And I looked at him and he looked at, he, he was very slow. And he turned around and he looked at me. He said, you all right? <laughs> I went, I can't wait. I'm going to go back to school and I'm going to get my master's and I'm going to sit on the back of the truck and do nothing while everybody else sweats. <laughs> <laughs> Next day I had a truck and all my equipment and I was <laughs> running around chest- testing concrete around Metro Atlanta. So, so you're telling the story about uh, how you got your job with Lafarge. Uh, that's exactly how I got a job as well. So 2010. Oh, yeah. The economy crashed. Uh, I got a job as an intern with Lafarge in the lab. Same exact thing, except I was in Kansas City. Oh, I was about to say, what? Okay. Yeah, so listen to your story. I'm like, what? <laughs> She's telling my story over here. What are you doing? <laughs> and you're talking about being in that lab. We, I can't even tell you how many hours uh, Josh and I have spent in that Argos lab. And I'm so glad that, uh, you know, Rick Tilson, he's one of our absolute Favorite. Oh, you know Rick, Tricky Ricky. Oh my God, I love Rick Tilson. I love him. He is so smart, and he—he's all his his greatest saying. He said this so many times to me. You'll learn. If I made a mistake, Rick, I did this. He's like, you'll learn. 
Okay. He says it like that. It gives you that sly smile. Yeah. Like he's really meant to be some kind of Hollywood actor, but he's, he's yeah. stuck measuring concrete. Right? Yeah, yeah. He's a professional anglerman, too. Did you know that? I did know that. I knew that uh, that was the one thing he valued more uh, than anything in this world was his time to be able to go fishing. And uh, I remember talking to him one time about because he was trying to coordinate a schedule and, you know, with ready mix, you're just all over the place. And then uh, he, he was talking about his kids or, uh, you know, in a, a school that he has to drive 45 minutes one way because he wanted uh, them to be in a better school. And, you know, he was juggling. He was like, you know, I, I want to make sure my kids have a great education, uh, but I also want to do all this fishing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but it was interesting because I was a new father and uh, listening to him talk about uh, his priorities and how he uh, wanted to do all these things. But he knew that the best thing he could do is give his children a good education. And that meant mm-hmm. having a good job and providing. And so fishing was kind of taken third on that seat, but it was number one in his heart. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's a good guy. I I reach out to him ever so often if I need some help. Well, we try not to reach out to him because he always thinks I'm trying to sell him back to Joe. <laughs> oh, well, uh, yeah, that's unfortunate. You should just say hi. I'm sure he'll appreciate it. I will. I will. Actually, Ryan Betts, who was on here this last episode, uh, it's about to come out. Uh, oh, he, they were, oh. Uh, yeah, he, they told I'm me he was about that. <laughs> With some man saying stuff, told me to reach out to Rick. And I just, yeah. man, you know how many times I've reached out to Rick? I feel so bad <laughs> reaching out to Rick Tilson. He's just such a good guy. And, uh, you know, any way we can ever help him, we'd love to help him. So Ryan Betts took over the lab after I left. And, I mean, they couldn't have picked a better guy to run that lab. Is he still doing that? Uh, no, he actually went over to the dark side. He is on the cement side now. Oh, I don't. Well, no, no, no. We don't call that the dark side. Asphalt's the dark side. I was about to say, Lord have mercy, he went to asphalt. (laughs) No, no, no. Now that's really the evil empire. You're right. I apologize. Yeah. They're on the Argos Ready Mix side. They always feel like the cement guys had it easy. Oh, yeah. No. uh, Ready Mix, we were the redheaded stepchildren of the industry. And the cement, yeah. Well, I'm in cement now, so I'm not going to. I'm not going to say anything <laughs> negative about those guys. They pay my bills. <laughs> Did you work with uh, Kelly Cloud who came no, out? No, of- Kelly was, um, she graduated after I did. And I think she got her job with Lafarge after I had either moved on to Savannah because they, they transferred me from Atlanta to Savannah to do residential sales. And I think maybe that's when she was with Lafarge. Okay, gotcha. Yes, she was the next shining star. She was probably top of the class, graduated when Joey and I graduated. You know, she was one of those top one, two, three, uh, got the job similar to what you got uh, going into Lafarge there, into that lab. And uh, then she uh, moved to Texas. I don't know that she's still in the industry anymore. uh, Yeah, I I haven't heard anything out of her in a while. Yeah, but you said you're in cement now. So uh, Mm -hmm. what is it that you're into now? So after, well, there was something I did after Lafarge. Um, I was down in Savannah and doing residential sales and also still doing quality control because once you know how to do that, you never can't not do that. So selling concrete during the day and then QC and jobs at night was really no life to live. And my boyfriend at the time was um, looking to move out of Savannah and he had 
you know, picked up a job with Amazon here in Tennessee. So I just posted my resume on LinkedIn. And within like days, I had a headhunter contact me about a job at a company called Magato. And so obviously I Googled Magato, never had heard of Magato, but it was in it was, the sales office was based in Franklin. So I reached out to Dr. Brown and I asked her if she had ever heard of Magato. And she said, yeah, we have a, um, a graduate, a CIM grad that works there, Garrett Pear. And so she gave me his number and I called him and he said, yeah, I'm actually um, uh, looking to leave. I think he was one guy was retiring and then Garrett was actually taking another job. So there was two positions and so I went out for one of them. They flew me to Nashville and I interviewed and I got awarded that job. And that job was a, they called it sales engineering. It's basically account manager, a sales, a salesman to cement uh, plants across the U.S. So my territory was Texas all the way up to South Dakota, just about everything east of the Rockies and west of the Mississippi, except for St. Jen, which is the whole, the big wholesome plant over in, uh, where was that, Missouri? So basically what I did is I would fly to a plant. I would get inside their mill internals. It's a massive setup. You've got your preheater tire. You've got your, your crushers, your ball mills, your vertical roller mills, your clinker cooler, all these things. Well, everything is lined with metal. And so Magato was a foundry based company where we melted metal to make metal castings to go inside cement plants, aggregate, mining, dredging. We did all of it. So I would get inside their mill internals and I would do wear inspections, you know, calculate the, the thickness of their metals and how much longer they lasted compared to their production rates. And and then I would sell them parts. So it was a hot job. And I remember when I was getting interviewed the guy that I took over for, Clyde Teets, this old guy, he, he said, well, if you get this job, you need to remember one thing, always pack dry underwear. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Duly noted, dry underwear. Got it. I have no, I'd never been to a cement plant, so I, let alone been inside one. So I had no idea what he was talking about until the first time I got inside one, these things are mega hot. Like if it's if it's a crash stop, they're like 125 degrees getting in. You get in, you get what you need, you get out, take a break, catch your breath, get back in. And so that's when I realized, yeah, dry underwear, got it. Pack it in my car, change on the way home kind of thing because you're soaking wet when you get out of these things. Covered in cement, you got cement up in your nose and Anyway, I did that. I had two waste burning facilities down in Florida that I um, went to and those stunk to high heavens, but it was a really freaking cool job. It was one of those jobs where all of my friends were like, what do you do? And, you know, you explain it to them and they're like, what is cement? <laughs> well, it's not concrete. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can tell you that. Um but yeah, that was that was fun. But I got pregnant. Uh, the boyfriend that I had in Savannah, well, he and I got married. So, you know, he knocked me up. And so I was traveling across the world, pregnant, getting inside cement mills, pregnant. Oh, uh, at about at about seven months, you know, I told my doctor what I did and if he thought it was still OK. And he was like, 
girl, I don't even know what you do. I, you just do what you think is best. <laughs> okay. So I, I stopped traveling at uh, just at eight months. And I've, I mean, I've got pictures of me big bellied inside of, you know, a, a meal with my harness on and, you know, all the PPE and, you know, and I've had so many guys say, I don't think we'll ever see another pregnant girl in this meal. I said, I don't think so either. I hope I'm the last because I, I, I like to be queen of all things. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't want to travel, you know, like that. And after having kids, and so I reached out to Dr. Brown again. And I said, I know this is a long shot, but is there anything in the Murfreesboro, Nashville area that you know, they're looking to hire because I might need something with a little bit more home life. And she said, Jesse, I have been sitting on this job for four months. They've been asking me to fill this position with a CIM grad, but I just, she didn't have anybody that she wanted to uh, give it to because it was the Portland Cement Association and they had never hired a CIM grad before. And so she wanted to give them the best. Oh, and cool. uh, that's in. where I came in. <laughs> so I interviewed for that job and I got it. And so now I promote pavement based applications for the cement manufacturers in the state of Tennessee. And that's how I got to where I am now. Awesome. That'll make Joey Bell happy. He hates asphalt just as much as you do. Oh, I hate it. We chew it up in full depth reclamation is one of the things that I promote. It's uh, it's a way to recycle an asphalt road. You you chew it up with this big reclaimer and then you lay down cement, you know, mix your mixed water in it, create a concrete base, and then you pave over the top of it. Yeah, milling machine is one of the greatest inventions ever made just because it chews up asphalt. Oh, yeah, they're awesome. I, one day I may have one, but for right now, $700,000 is just not sitting in the bank right now. So what are some, uh, are you are you working on any unique projects around the state now regarding paving? Yeah, so we um, we just finished up TDOT's longest FDR project to date. It's nine and, about nine and a half miles in West Tennessee. And I watched the episode with Dr. Brown and she mentioned that one. So MTSU and UTC together got this grant study from TDOT to study that. And uh, because I'm the only person in the state that promotes uh, FDR, she hired me as a consultant to come in and help. So we'll, I'll go with the team and we'll go collect samples on the road and do falling weight deflectometer testing and then take it back to the lab and, you know, run all the necessary tests. But that project just wrapped up and then TDOT has looked at doing another road over in West Tennessee, Weekly County. And I've been working with them on that and getting a proposed mixed design for the bidding process in February. So those are fun. You know, there's a lot of concrete paving going on at airports right now, which is relatively new. You know, air, uh, like BNA, obviously, they use concrete, but our little GA airports are predominantly asphalt. And if I can't flip them to do FDR, I would rather that see them go concrete paving. And we've got two right now that are finishing up. Jamestown, Tennessee just had a big concrete uh, runway and taxiway. And uh, Savannah Airport down in Hardin County is doing a huge concrete runway rehab. How, um, 
you said it's relatively new. When I graduated CIM, my first job was concrete paving uh, for airfields, and that was back in 2011 with Atlantic Contracting. And those guys have been doing paving for years. I don't know how long they didn't they had done airfield work, but I was just curious because it seemed it seemed pretty common to me even you know nine years ago. Is it just something new to you know, BNA and the area down here, and it's more prominent in other places like the Mid-Atlantic where I was? Or Yeah, so Tennessee is a massive asphalt state, and it's roads, it's city streets, it's airports, and it's mostly because, you know, concrete, I think, and this is just my opinion, concrete got a bad name when 440 started going downhill. And everyone blamed the concrete. It was all the concrete's fault. But in all actuality, that road was not designed for that amount of traffic and that weight of traffic. So that road was federally funded. And so TDOT designed the road for commuter traffic. And then when it was open, the feds were like, oh, no, we paid for this. You're going to let semi-trucks and all traffic on it. So the road was destined to fail from the get-go because it was not designed for that type of uh, traffic. I mean, even the barrier walls and the sound walls were not designed for that. So when they did 440 rehab, you know, the past two years, everything had to re be replaced. And so they actually used, side note, they used cement treated base, another application that I promote on 440. They recycled some of the concrete and used that as the CTV. But to my point, I think that road failing let the asphalt mafia <laughs> come in, swoop in, and, and spread their love all over Tennessee. And it ran a lot of the concrete guys out because there wasn't enough work for them. So why would they stay? And so there hasn't been enough you know, alternate designs from TDOT to keep any concrete guys around. You know, and then it, it takes people like me fighting for concrete to wake, you know, the guys up at either TDOT or TDOT Aeronautics or these design engineers that are, you know, paid to create designs for pavement to say, hey, listen, do two bids, do an asphalt design, do a concrete design, even if asphalt, you know, comes in cheaper then concrete, I can guarantee you it's going to be cheaper than what it would be if you just did straight asphalt and no concrete alternate because they'll get scared and they'll say, okay, we got to lower our price. You'll get a, a truer fair market value price on asphalt if you compare it to something else. And then what they're seeing is a lot of people are like, no, I want concrete. So Jamestown in particular, that airport, though their board wanted concrete and they put their foot down and they said, you would you could do an asphalt design and, and we'll, we'll consider it, but we, we want concrete if it comes within our budget. And it did, and that's what they got. Are there any um, upcoming projects or are there any talks to have roller compacted concrete for paving, or are we still alone having that on the roads? Uh, now, I don't think we'll ever see RCC on roads, mostly because RCC is not a smooth surface. It's, it's, yeah. You know, if you look at it, it looks like gray asphalt. So you don't, you can't tell that it's not that smooth, but you're going to see it predominantly on, you know, large parking areas, places where you've got a lot of 
um, I, I call it like tracked traffic, like, you know, the tracks on bulldozers and, and excavators, that kind of stuff, uh, gouging of forklifts because it holds up to those types of impacts. There is um, an admixture that uh, Andale Construction has created that you can add to the RCC and then you put a trowel on it you know, a trial machine, power trial, and you smooth out the surface and you get a better ride. But, you know, the, the beauty behind RCC is that it's cheap, not cheap made, but it's, you compare it to, you know, traditional concrete and asphalt, your RCC is more often than not going to come in cheaper than the other two. So if you start adding admixtures to it and then laborers to it and all these line items that drives up the price. So it just really depends on what you want. I mean, RCC is a truly fantastic pavement application and I wish more people would consider it. So that's another reason why I have this job is trying to convince these civil engineers who have never even seen RCC before to design it and then put it in a, you know, a proposal. Are there any projects where it's used asphalt? overlay just mm-hmm. so they get that asphalt look that asphalt feel but they have the rcc underlay yeah so there's a actually columbus ohio i've been told has more rcc sub base than anywhere else in the u.s and that the whole city anytime there's a road that's rebuilt or new they'll do rcc and then they'll lay it overlay it with asphalt and what that does is it allows that asphalt to last so much longer how thick is that asphalt top coat I, I would say two, two inches, you know, it might be like a inch and a half or inch and a half binder and an inch and a half surface, maybe three inches. I don't know. It just depends on what, you know, Columbus's specifications are for asphalt. But I've seen RCC dams, you know, dam walls. I mean, it's just, it's incredible what that stuff can do and where it came from. I mean, they used to just place RCC with a dump truck and a motor grader and just move it around that way. And now they have these high density pavers that put it out. And I mean, it's got almost 2200 PSI coming right out the back of the paver. You walk on it and roll all over. You can put yep. a truck on it the very next day. <laughs> it's yeah, just that's incredible. That's what we used to use for... We- we're talking about CTV. That's almost essentially yeah. RCC is what yeah. that is. You're taking you're taking that uh, recycled concrete. It's recycled concrete aggregate, mm-hmm. and you're mixing it with cement and water, and you're just placing it with a dump truck, uh, cutting it down with uh, with a motor grader, just like mm-hmm. you said, and rolling it out. And uh, that's what we used to use for uh, base to pave on top. To pave yeah. On top. Oh yeah, it's great. It's great stuff. We were talking about it being uh, so much cheaper. And the lack of labor required for RCC, uh, that's what really surprised me uh, that they don't use that more often in these places because you just listed it off what it takes to place it. It's, you know, a dump truck. It's basically a high powered asphalt machine mm-hmm. uh, and rollers. And that's it doesn't require that much equipment and very minimal labor. Mm-hmm. And so that's got to reduce the cost. So it's very surprising they don't use that more often. Well, and think about the reason why the concrete program was developed 25 years ago. There was a need for people who had a concrete-based knowledge. And that's because they were getting these civil engineers 
that had no concrete knowledge at all. And think about that. That's not changed. They're still getting the same knowledge base that they were getting, you know, 25 years ago. So if you talk to most civil engineers, they really don't know a whole lot. They had maybe one class on concrete and that's it. And so they've never heard of roller compacted concrete. So they would truly not know how to design it or even know where a candidate or what a candidate would look like. I mean, I have to be in front of so many projects that I I hear that are looming in the future and try to plug where I can RCC, FDR, soil cement. Come on, let's consider all these things before that project gets designed, because once it's designed, you can just wash your hands. I mean, you're not going to get in at all. I've tried before. uh, There was an old Dominion trucking terminal that was being built in Knoxville, like the Knoxville, that 40, 75 corridor right there. And I I had the the plans in hand and I went to my RCC contractor and I said, can we flip this? And he said, I would love to. So we started talking to whoever we could. And I went so far as to find the, um, the president of Old Dominion and I emailed him this long, heartfelt email. Like, listen, I'm not trying to sell RCC to Taco Bell. I'm trying to sell RCC to guys, to places that need it, where it will benefit you. In five years, when your asphalt is failing, you know, you can guarantee that RCC is not going to do that. And he thanked me for it, and he sent it on to his real estate guy. And that guy basically said, remove me from your email chain or something like that. <laughs> it sounds like the emails we get sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> the best response ever when he was trying to help some guy <laughs> oh yeah I would, uh, you know we're in sales and business development so we hound people all the time and uh, i remember there was this one guy that i had emailed uh, once or twice a week for months you know on end left voicemails you know the whole spiel trying to trying to get a hold of him uh to help you know to help him out i think it was with some shot creep and he finally he responded to one email one time and it had one word and it said unsubscribe <laughs> Yeah, that was pretty demoralizing. Yeah. I'd, I'd literally, I'd cut, left voicemails with this guy. I was a real person. You don't just unsubscribe yeah. from a human being, mm-hmm. I guess. But yeah, that, that hurt my feelings. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. It was a gut punch to me, too. And I showed it to Andrew Smith, who's a co-owner in Robert Smith Paving. And I said, you know what? In five years, when his asphalt's rutting up, he'll remember this email. And I can't wait. His own <laughs> asphalt, right? It, it was his own asphalt. <laughs> Well, it always made sense for government roads and government projects, because as we've discussed on this podcast before, is that, uh, you know, when they're looking at uh, new roads and paving, a lot of times they're using a budget that is only as long as the term of their office. Mm. So they say, okay, well, the asphalt's cheaper, so I'm going to go with the cheaper road because I've only got this amount of budget and I'm only going to be in office as a governor for four, six years, and uh, the road's not going to be replaced in that four or six years so i'm going to spend this now and we're going to go forward i'm going to try and get reelected rather than paying more money and going over you know quote unquote on over budget with a concrete road that'll last three times as long they're not playing a long game they're playing the election cycle and so that always made sense it's it is surprising that a guy at old dominion uh wouldn't see that value but like you said he handed off to the real estate guy right a lobbyist for the government anyway yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah, I I have definitely learned a lot about, you know, who funds roads 
who makes the calls on, you know, pavement designs and and those types of things in regards to Tennessee. Now, all states work differently, uh, but in Tennessee, you know, TDOT maintains, you know, the highways and the interstates, and then your counties maintain their roads, and then your cities maintain their roads. So when I got handed this position uh, five years ago, six years ago coming up, uh, I, I, I mean, I... They threw me to the wolves. I didn't know who to talk to. I didn't know Joe from Peter and Peter to Paul. And, you know, they were saying, go, you know, talk to these county guys about something I'd never even seen before. Go try to get them to use FDR. And I'm like, I've never even seen FDR yet. So finally, you know, I remember the day that it clicked. Like I, maybe I had like a presentation that just went really well. And I had all the answers. And since then, it's it's really been a dream job. And I'm truly blessed to have it. And I, I really appreciate the fact that I'm the only person in the state doing it. So, you know, I'm the FDR queen, so to speak. I mean, I've called myself that. I'm sure other people call me things. Maybe <laughs> not queen, but. Uh. Listen, listen, Jesse. I got to tell you, we are birds of a feather here on this podcast with you right now. I'm telling you, you have described our lives over the last eight years, getting thrown to the wolves, trying to become uh, knowledgeable about things we don't know anything about. Not necessarily concrete, but we've done so many applications. We weren't shotcrete experts when we started putting our products in shotcrete. We weren't uh, double T experts or SCC experts or all these different uh, projects we've been on, but we had to get in, learn, sink or swim, because we're trying to build a business. And right. you're essentially the same thing. You're trying to build a business, mm-hmm. uh, selling these uh, opportunities uh, from scratch. Yeah. Nobody, nobody handed you a Rolodex that said, here's the person to call, here's what to oh. say, and you know, have a good day. <laughs> yeah. Now, I remember riding around. So my boss, Roger, hooked me up with Barry Wilder, who owns Roadworks. And he's one of the only FDR contracts in the state. Oddly enough, he used to have this position. So he left the Portland Cement Association to open up Roadworks. So I, you know, met up with him and rode around with him one day. I mean, it was like a week into my employment here. And he was giving me all these names of people to contact and, you know, doing a lot of talking. And finally, at one point, he looked over at me and said, do you not have any questions? <laughs> No, I am taking it all in. I'm writing everything down. Uh, no, I don't have any questions. But now I don't shut up. So I think he probably sometimes wishes that we could go back to 2015 when I didn't say anything. Now I just talk and he and I will <laughs> I won't talk to him for a week. He's like, you're mad at me, aren't you? I'm like, yeah, I'm mad at you, you old butthole. <laughs> I don't even work from you and you're yelling at me. So... Uh, yeah, I've learned you, a lot. Makes you a good podcast guest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he would be. No, he, I'd be better than him. He's he kind of doesn't talk that much. He's a he's a, a, a rough around the edges, so to speak. Right. Well, well, back then when you first started, uh, the saying goes, "You don't know what you don't know." Right. So that's probably yes. the the reason behind the lack of questions there. But, you know, with with all of your years in your position and uh, it seems that you're truly passionate about it, which is great to hear. And you're making some inroads. You're you're having some success. 
uh, in a state that was uh, relatively green to to concrete paving and, and roadways and such. But do you have an end game in your mind? Is there like an ultimate goal where you want to take your position and 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 take this option? So um, yes, I think so sometimes, and then sometimes I'm like nah. Um, so I did recently open up my own concrete contracting company for my husband. Uh, yeah. Um, I, uh, according to Dr. Brown, I'm the first alumni that has brought their significant other over to the gray side or, you know, maybe I am, I don't know if anybody's out there listening, you can correct me, but yeah, he was, um, in logistics. Uh, he's also in the army and he wanted to, get out of his civilian job. He's always wanted to do his own thing. And uh, we were given an opportunity back in March to do some concrete paving at a place in Bellbuckle. The homeowner couldn't find anybody to do it. She was a friend of mine. She said, hey, would you want to do it? And I said, yeah, let's try it out. Um, (laughs) And it was a shit show, but uh, it came out okay. And Justin really enjoyed his time uh, pouring concrete. So we started kind of like side hustling on the weekends. We would meet after he would get off work and do something real quick. You know, it's, it was, you know, like one job a month, maybe two jobs a month. And then we got to where we were building up this backlog of projects. And so I allowed him to quit his civilian job and now he works for me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but things are going well. I gave him a raise yesterday on Veterans Day. Yeah. And uh, uh, <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, he's he's happy. He's working right now. And but, yeah, we I, I see that going further, uh, especially, you know, not just right now. We're just doing small residential, but I could see that, you know, trickling into commercial uh, eventually. I do really admire these guys like A.G. Pelts that have these massive operations and these massive, you know, mainline paving systems and what they do. And then I look at the labor force and like, literally we have one employee, which is my brother. (laughs) So it's like, that's a long shot to do something like that just because the labor force is ridiculous right now. But, you know, I, I do, truly love full depth reclamation. I love the the equipment and and the outcome and all that it takes to just rebuild this road. And I can see myself doing that in the future, but you've got to have a lot of capital to, to get into that. I mean, a, a reclaimer is $700,000 and you got to have the spread truck, the water truck, the grader, the you know, the skid steer, the sheep's foot, the steel wheel. And it's just a, a multi-million dollar operation that, you know, you just can't get into by yourself. One of my old bosses, one of the things he said after buying literally dozens of loaders and skid steers and Terex trucks, he said, if you're going to go in debt, go down a blazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you have to. There. Golly, I mean, nobody's going to give those things to you, and they're not cheap. And when they break, they're really not cheap. Well, I remember uh, Paul's going to find this humorous because I think he knows what I'm about to say. But one of the best uh, pieces of advice we ever got from Mr. Folks 
was the best way or the it was either the best way or the easiest way to save money. And Paul remembers what he said, but he said the easiest way to save money is to not pay your bills. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we, you guys can't see me because my video's broke. But I was waiting for my chance to tell that story half an hour ago because of my favorite show Fox story. But y'all couldn't see that I was over here chomping at the bit to tell this story. And I just had to let it go because there's no use in talking over everybody. <laughs> yeah, that's my favorite one. He looked up there and because you were just describing it perfectly, Jesse. Just perfect that uh, that smug look when he asks a question because he knows you don't know the answer. And every time you throw out the wrong answer, he's wincing in pain. You know, this fake. <laughs> pain and yeah he he had asked us he says well well, you know what do you do if you you don't you know the electric bill just came in and the water bills come in and you know payrolls rolling around you don't have money for everything you know what what do you do and everybody's shouting out all the wrong answers raise your prices he's like nope you just lost all your business now you're definitely done oh well uh, get more jobs he goes they ain't handing them out like that (laughs) what are you you talking about you know his cash flows running around what do you do what do you do what do you do and and finally he said yeah the uh don't pay your bills (laughs) 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 he was like okay it's not a perfect answer but you'll make payroll Hopefully the next job comes in. Yeah, yeah. you can see it out. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's tons of people that, you know, slip on that bill. Well, I've got a, a 30 day net pay. I'll push that to sixty. <laughs> we see it. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. maybe, maybe that's why nobody pays their active jail bill. They're just on quote unquote hard times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Folks' actual quote when it was uh, talking about pushing things out net thirty goes, they ain't going Turn the lights off tomorrow. You got like three months. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Tis true. Hey, this coming from somebody who is now buying concrete on the regular. I like to get that discount. So I like to pay by the 10th to all my I and my reps. I like to pay by the 10th so I get that discount. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, hope, I hope I can always say that. But for right now, yeah, I, I pay early. <laughs> It's a good idea for IMI to try to push early payments too, give it, give a little discount because otherwise, what's your incentive, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's no incentive in pouring concrete. Jesse, we got one more question. There's one question we ask all of our guests. Uh, what's the most crazy or wild, interesting thing you've seen uh, on the job site or anywhere? Hold up. <laughs> I'm gonna have to. Think on y'all should have messaged me this question so that I could be thinking of it because I know I'll tell you something I'll be like dang it why didn't I remember that one oh I've got one before okay before I jump into that answer I do want to give a plug to the CIM patrons now you two guys I don't I don't think I've ever seen you guys at a meeting I'm gonna to have to see you guys at a meeting here coming up we need fresh blood. We need new faces. I am the vice president of the CIM patrons. I'll be president next year once Daniel steps down, if they'll have me. And um, we we do a lot to, in, you know, encourage growth in the program to to uh, help the students. We do fundraising, you know, the golf tournament and the skeet shoot and all those things don't happen overnight. You know, it's a, a work in progress. And and uh, we would love to see. Any CIM alumni that's out there watching this podcast to, you know, 
join us. You know, you don't have to come to every single meeting, but we would love to see you because we we need new ideas and and uh, uh, so that we can grow. And what, we need to grow uh, our female population too. When and where are those meetings? I live here. I live in White Bluff. You know where White Bluff's at. Yeah. Uh, Paul lives up in Pennsylvania, so I could for sure come to some of those. So just yeah. tell me when and where. We will. Um, all you got to do is email Sally and she'll get you on the list. And so and we, anytime we have a meeting come up, she always emails out all the ones that are interested in coming. And we, um, you know, people can call in too. You don't have to actually physically show up. So if you're interested in it and you want to call in, by all means, that's that's something we can do. Uh, so the story, I've got one back in my ready mix days. Cause you know, those days were the hardest days. Mm -hmm. Ready mix is where you, you get that tough skin. You learn how to cuss, um, <laughs> and you learn how to be cussed at, at the most inopportune moments. I mean, there's, I remember times checking concrete at the Hartsville Jackson airport and this contractor comes up and he's just cussing me. What the hell is my truck? And I'm like, I have no idea. I'm, you know, I was on another uh, totally different mix, totally different project from him, but because I was with Lafarge, by all means, let's cuss her out. Um, but the, the one project that I was on, I was in Athens at the Athens plan in Georgia and we were pouring, um, I can't remember if we were pouring at the school or where we were, but it was in the middle of the night and I was, this was a finicky mix. So I was slumping trucks, checking air, checking all those things at the plant in the middle of the night. And, uh, the, the batch guy comes out and he says, Hey, the salesman, so-and-so's on the phone. He says, you need to be at the job site, backing in trucks to the pump. And I went, I need to be where? I said, I am making sure the concrete is right. I'm going to do that first. And so he goes back in. I guess he tells so-and-so that I was not going to the job site right now. I was going to continue uh, slumping trucks. And about five minutes later, he comes back out. He said, he's back on the phone. He said that he told the contractor that you would be there backing in trucks to the pump. And I said, you tell him if he wants to have somebody come back in trucks to the pump, then I'll get out there. But he's had to get his ass out here and slump these trucks. <laughs> I don't know what and if he actually used the colorful language that I did not use for this because I said other things. <laughs> Sorry, mama, but she knows I cuss. Anyway, um, he never talked to me much after that. Um, I, he never apologized either. But uh, anyway, I think I got my point across. And I did eventually go out and back in trucks to the pump, which is not my job. But I took my sweet ass time doing it, too. <laughs> I think 15 trucks had gone out by the time I casually showed up. And you got to have the war stories because, I mean, like I said, that's how you get tough. That's how you learn who you are. And, you know, I, there were many nights that I'd go home and cry into a bottle of wine and 
wonder why I'm doing this. Why did I do this to myself? And then, you know, I had, you know, you just you you work through all those lessons at the School of Hard Knocks and you come out on top. Well, we had similar uh, situations, maybe not crying to a bottle of wine, but <laughs> you're our... just probably bourbon or whiskey, right? Because you're men. <laughs> <laughs> but you're the you know, you're returning to a hotel in Denver, Colorado, and you're like, none of that went the way I thought it was going to go. <laughs> and, and I look like a total idiot. Uh, you know, the worst one for me was Corpus Christi, Texas. And, and not only had these guys bought a ton of product and things had been so perfect uh, in the lab and then in small scale. And then we got to large scale on the job and they'd already bought stuff and they were running full bore and not a single thing went right. And nobody knew what the answer was. Uh, I didn't know. I called I called our people on the other side of the world and was like, hey, Australia, I know it's early. <laughs> but I got a problem and I can't figure it out. And so nobody could figure it out. And, and the answer ended up being adding a ton of cement so they could get through the job. And we had to refund them all their money and take the product back. And it was just the longest day. And I felt bad for them because they worked so hard that day trying to make it work. And, and it was hard work. And uh, I, I don't know. So so just so you know, you're not alone in that. Mm-hmm. Just to, as a woman on the job, we, we've experienced the exact same things uh, in hotels. Just looking like, yeah. what am I? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't think I don't think you're seasoned if you haven't experienced those things. All right, guys. Well, we'll we'll wrap it up with that. Uh, Jesse, we really appreciate your time. Thanks for everything you do for the industry. Thanks for all the different ways you help the MTSU uh, CIM program as well. Speaking of, you know, as someone that didn't go to the program, it's uh, it's certainly an awesome program. And I say this, I think it's my third episode now saying I really wish I went to the CIM program. But um, now I got these guys to lean on. And I I basically took the 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 crash course that you have to learn most of that stuff in a three-day period so (laughs) i'd much rather would have went to the cim program but uh, we appreciate what you're doing for them we appreciate what you're doing in the industry and thanks so much for being on the show today yeah thanks for having me and that's going to do it for episode nine thanks so much for listening in thanks again to jesse for being a part of the show we certainly appreciate it and uh, we're already looking forward to episode 10 In the meantime, go out and check us out on our Facebook and Instagram pages. Our social media pages have the video element for promotional clips and sound bites that we promote throughout the week leading up to each and every episode. So go ahead and check that out. Also, give us a review. Tell your friends about us as we try to grow our viewership each and every week on the Add 10 Gallons Concrete Podcast. So until next time, we'll see you then.